So you remember the uh, basic background of the book of Hebrews. In 64 AD, 65 AD, Nero has begun persecuting Christians severely. Most of the Christians that were being addressed by this uh, uh, book are Jews, Hebrews, and they converted from the Jewish faith to Christianity, so they were getting persecuted by the Jews as well as the Romans. And so many of them were bailing out. They were just basically saying, I'm not sure this is worth it. And so they were going back to their Jewish faith or simply just uh, abandoning faith altogether. And so the, the, nobody knows the author of the book. Some say it's Paul. Uh, I don't think it was. Uh, the style of writing is way different. But uh, it's lots of things in the book suggest that it was a sermon originally before it was written down. And so a lot of uh, commentators believe it was a pastor preaching a sermon to his church in Rome. And uh, it got uh, written down and it became quite popular. Uh, it spread and lots of people read it and it became sort of almost a manual uh, for believers during that time that were going through persecution on uh, staying f- uh, faithful, staying true to Christ uh, during this time. And so uh, one of the themes in the book, there's about 10 different themes that run through the book and we'll cover each of them, is uh, the uh, topic of falling away because he warned six different times in the book, don't do it, don't fall away, don't drift away, don't abandon your faith. And so there's reasons why people would do that And we're looking at several of them, and we're going to look at one tonight. And so this is what you might call a classic uh, uh, area of theology written about for uh, since the church began. Uh, And the the title of it is called The Perseverance of the Saints. That's been around for a long time, that particular title. So that's the title we'll give this talk tonight. So in your notes, number one, many people think they're Christians headed to heaven uh, that aren't. They're headed for hell and they don't know it. And so that's, uh, uh, we've said it before, I can't think of anything that would be a worse experience, though it's the other side of this life, would be to stand before Jesus and think you're in and find out you're not. And, uh, and then there's no, no do-overs. You're, you're stuck. I, I would guess that that person, those people that hear that news are going to think, I wish someone had... Uh, told me the truth. And so about 85% of the people in our country, when they're asked the question, are you a Christian, will say yes. And so obviously I think we would recognize that not near that many are. And so there's all kinds of reasons why people think they are. One is they're, they're born in the United States. It's amazing how many people will say, I'm a Christian because I'm born in the United States. Uh, that's kind of like saying you're a car because you were born in a garage. Uh, it, it doesn't, there's not much connection there. But heritage, location, it, it's, it's a cultural thing. And then some have a, an experience where they give intellectual assent to historical fact, but that's not what makes a person a believer in Jesus. Matthew seven twenty two many, and so that's a key word. That's not just going to be a few. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles then i will declare to them i never knew you depart from me 
you who practice lawlessness. And again, that's not going to be a good day. And that's going to be many, many individuals that are going to have that experience. Number two, everybody who thinks they are a Christian should check out their faith regularly. So that would be me, you. We should think, okay, if it's a lot of people that are going to think they're there and aren't really, I, I really ought to be serious about my own faith, thinking, examining, uh, am I really in the family of God or may, am I one of those many that are deceived? And so there's some tests. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? And so uh, uh, I, I have one. It's ten questions, two or false. And I give it to you afterwards, and you can tell if you're in or out. That's just a joke. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, wow, that'd be cool if that worked. <laughs> Number three, the first test, which we talked about last week, do I have a growing hunger for uh, do, do I have a growing hunger for a changed life and am I in pursuit of righteousness? So the thing that Paul says repeatedly is that if you are uh, a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you have faith in Jesus, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And John 16, Jesus said the Holy Spirit's assignment, uh, among other things, is to convict of sin. And so a person that is a genuine believer, a follower of Jesus is going to be the temple of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of them is going to convict them of sin and create in us this longing, this hunger, this thirst for righteousness. It doesn't mean that we're perfect or even close. It doesn't mean we don't sin. But it does mean that there is this desire to grow, this desire to conquer, this grieving, this guilt, this conviction when we do sin. There's something inside of us that indicates that we indeed have experienced a uh, new birth, a born-again experience with him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, this is the one, uh, the, the verse that so many in our country especially kind of uh, claim, for by grace you've been saved through faith that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works. So that really sounds cool. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to sign anything. It's simply a gift by God, uh, by grace through faith. And so that uh, grace topic has kind of gone to seed, gotten emphasized to the point where uh, what we do doesn't matter, how we live doesn't matter. But the very next verse, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, you know, I discovered something. I, I grew up on the farm, chickens, eggs, the whole nine yards, Patty, we got eggs coming out of our ears. My wife has this love affair with chickens, and she has like a 20 of them. And we have eggs everywhere. And so she hard boils them so that, you know, there's eggs to eat anytime you want to eat egg. The problem is you have a carton of eggs uh, that are hard boiled and a carton of eggs that are not hard boiled. And uh, who can tell the difference? And so several times I've cracked an egg open and it's not been hard boiled. And... Uh, I, I'm thinking to myself, well, it sure be easy if somebody had marked these eggs. And uh, Patty said, well, you know, there's a simple little trick, uh, a test you can do. I said, what's that? She said, just spin it. I said, so what is it going to do when I spin it? She said, if it's not hard boiled, it wobbles. I said, really? There, test it. We'll check it. Wow, look at that. I didn't know that. So 
Is it the spinning that makes it hard-boiled? No, you know that. Um, so works, good works, righteous living. Is it on this side or this side of faith? It's on the downhill side, as it were. Um, you spin the hard-boiled egg, and it doesn't wobble. A born-again Christian, um, there is a test that you can do. It's a simple test. The test doesn't cause or create uh, the egg to be hard-boiled. It's simply the result of it being hard-boiled, and my lifestyle isn't causing me to be saved. It's a simple result of being saved. But if I am, uh, I won't wobble. And uh, if I do wobble, then there's a problem. I'm not hard-boiled or saved, if you want to keep that straight there. <coughs> Hebrews 4.11, 4, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And so the writer uh, will back and forth between the word faith and obedience or disobedience, almost using them synonymously. Hebrews 6, 7, ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thistles and thorns, it's worthless. Close to being cursed, it ends up being burned. Thistles and thorns... Uh, you know, we could figure out what that is as far as applying that to a person. Hebrews 6, 9, Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, that accompany or follow or are a result of salvation. Hebrews ten twenty six. If we go on sinning willfully, now it's important that we see that word willfully. Uh, I sin, but I don't, wake up in the morning and think, okay, I think today I'm going to sin. I think maybe today I'll have an affair. Maybe today I'll do this. Uh, I, I sin because of events or circumstances or temptation, and afterwards I grieve over it and think, how can I get over that one? And uh, people that, I was talking to a guy who was, Having an affair, it was no secret. Everybody knew it. He knew it. His wife knew it. His kids knew it. His parents knew it. Everybody knew it. But he just was perfectly content to stay there. He said, I think it's all right as we pray together. I said, uh, you know, uh, you're deceived. You think you have a walk and a relationship with God, but uh, it's not possible. And then I read him this verse. If we go on sinning willfully, and that's what you're doing, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. And uh, I, I think he took the picture he had in his wallet out after that. I wasn't his favorite pastor anymore. In fact, I don't know as I've seen or heard of him since that conversation. Um, he kind of likes the one where you're saved by grace. Works don't matter. You can do pretty much anything you want. And because they were praying together, certainly God was in it. Um, so that's kind of where we often live today. We justify the way we live and we excuse it under the term grace. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God, there's the word grace, has appeared bringing salvation to all men. That is, it's available to all. 
instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, Titus was a young preacher. Paul was mentoring him, and uh, he knew this wouldn't be particularly popular, so he told Titus, preach it, and don't, uh, don't let people uh, intimidate you in not doing it. So he starts out with grace. He says it brings salvation. Then he says, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And so that's the message. Uh, it's not grace with no works. We're saved not with works, but our salvation results in works. I'm going to skip the next two long passages, or Katie will move to 1 John 2. 1 John, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. James says he's going to take me out to lunch. And uh, when he does, he's buying. I'd go out to lunch with anybody if they buy. Uh, Mike advertised that in his sermon this last weekend, and I got six invitations out to lunch. <laughs> uh, cool, they're all buying. So propitiation, that's kind of what that means. My lunch gets paid for. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. That is, he paid for the, the price of them, the cost of them, the judgment of them, not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, he's a liar, the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. By this we know, this is the test, that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And so occasionally there, uh, I have conversations with people that will get a little uptight about this one in the sense that they've messed up. And so they think uh, maybe they're lost. I said, if that bothers you, you're not. Uh, it's when it doesn't bother you. Uh, when, you're, when your conscience is tender and you're pursuing righteousness and you grieve over sin, uh, you're spiritually alive. But when you get to the point where you sin willfully and you don't really care and you're depending on the grace of God to get you out of uh, the, that kind of living, then you're probably in trouble and aren't passing the test. Number four, the second test. That was all review. Uh, we did that last week. hope that wasn't too boring. So the, the, the second test is, am I running the race that God has set before me with endurance? Am I staying the course or am I quitting? Hebrews 12, this is the theme verse of the whole book. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, I think we talked about that, uh, witnesses surrounding us. Uh, Some would say that's the uh, heroes of the faith mentioned in chapter 11, which precedes this chapter. So that's fairly logical. Uh, But they're surrounding us. It's a sense almost like they can see us like a grandstand. And so I like to think uh, uh, that my dad can see me up there in heaven, and that's why I, I don't put cream in my coffee, and I don't wear gloves when I put firewood in, 
Uh, anything that my dad laughed at me as a kid, I don't do now because I'm thinking he can see me and I, I don't want him laughing at me from heaven. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance. That's not bad things. That's just stuff that fills up our time uh, that doesn't matter, that has no eternal value. Uh, we become entangled in the affairs of everyday life. And so let us lay aside that and, and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And so he's talking to people that are getting persecuted. And so he's saying, uh, consider Jesus. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who, who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Number five, this is a key point. You wanna, might want to circle this one. Once we are genuinely saved, we can't lose our salvation. But if we aren't really saved, we will fall away. If we've had a genuine born-again experience, we belong to God, we're secure. But the question is, did we? And uh, if we didn't, uh, we will fall away. Hebrews 2, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. And so the warning, don't drift away, because if you drift away, doesn't mean you lost your salvation. It means you weren't saved. Uh, and so there's a, a point of endurance till we... Uh, figure it out and get saved. Hebrews 3, 6, Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if, if, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. And so uh, somebody said that, that that sounds like you can lose your salvation. Well, it's a perspective kind of a thing. If you're in heaven with God, you're going to see things from a different perspective. When you're down here, uh, living in this body where we don't really get things very well, understand ourselves very well, the perspective is a bit different. And so it appears to be uh, that we don't have security, but we do if we just knew uh, what God knows. Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Hebrews 4, Therefore let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith and those who heard. So there is this level of fear um, that we would fall away and, and um, find out that we're not really where we should be. Hebrews 6.11, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, until the end. 
Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 10.35, therefore do not throw away your confidence which has great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, live by faith. But if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but are those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. First John 2, 19, this is another key passage. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. Matthew 24, Jesus speaking here. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Revelation, seven churches in Revelation, uh, two are nothing bad said about them, two nothing good said about them. The other three is kind of a mixture. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. You will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death. That will give you the crown of life. You'll be tested. That is, your faith will be. Be faithful till death and you'll get the crown of life. Second Timothy, Paul, at the very end of his life, just probably days before he's beheaded, martyred. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. Number six, if we, uh, if we sin, we need to confess it to God as sin. Own the sin, don't justify or excuse or blame it on someone else. So we're still in the midst of this test. And so a key aspect of test is what do you do when you sin? How do you act? How do you feel? clear indicator that uh, there's life in you that's eternal and uh, it's important that when we sin that we look at it from God's perspective we think uh, of it like God does and so that means we confess it to him as sin we own it we don't excuse it say it's no big deal I'll just confess it and be done with it Uh, we don't exercise what we would call liberty that is I can just do most anything I want it doesn't matter a whole lot because I'm saved by grace not by works First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number seven, after we confess all known sin to God, we need to repent and declare Jesus Lord of our life. We could do a little uh, survey and say, one word that you would use to express your conversion experience. Uh, most would pick the word probably belief or faith. But actually the word that's used most often uh, in the New Testament is the word repent. And it would include belief and faith, obviously, but it would go a bit further and a bit deeper in regards to uh, being concerned about how we live. Matthew four seventeen. from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent. Luke 13, 3, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
Acts 2.38, the day the church began, Peter stands up and preaches. He says, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 7.10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God, this sorrow is, a, is grieving over our sin. Uh, this, the sorrow that accord, is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, that is his coming back, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance doesn't want any to perish, to be lost, to go to hell, but for all to come to repentance. Number eight, if you start to drift away from the Lord, recommit your life to him as your Savior and Lord. Don't assume it's just the summer slump. <clears throat> There's anything I, over the years as a pastor, have grown to dis- despise is what is termed the summer slump. So many individuals through the summer justify uh, haphazard church attendance, uh, neglecting their Bible reading, uh, failing to pray much, and then they drift away, and often they never come back again. And uh, I I, I think about that, and I grieve over that, and I try to figure out what uh, could I do as a pastor so that that didn't happen. And as I started memorizing the book of Hebrews and studying it, I thought, I think probably what I ought to do is instead of talking about uh, uh, what Christians do, I had to talk about what lost people do. Uh, because if these individuals drift away from them so easily and never come back, it seems a clear indicator that uh, there was something wrong at the start in regards to their faith. Jeremiah seventeen nine: the heart is more deceitful than all else dis- desperately sick. Who can understand it? That means you can think you're in and not be. Our heart is, is, is difficult to figure out to know what's really true. Number nine, maintain a holy fear that you may be deceived that you might not really be saved and headed for heaven. So... Part of the uh, security of the saints, that particular doctrine, as you study and talk about that and read about it, the purpose is to create a sense of security. Uh, But often what people get a sense of is complacency and uh, carelessness. It's not real security. Uh, Security is based on God's promise and his covenant. Uh, but because we have a, a pseudo-Christianity that fools us, we can become what we call secure, but instead uh, we become complacent or casual about our faith and our walk with God. Hebrews 4.1, Therefore let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it, that you might come short of it. For indeed we have had good news uh, preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith. So here's a prayer I use now with people. If they talk to me about, oh, they've drifted away, whatever, I says maybe what we need to do is to uh, get saved again. Well, I got saved. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Let's make sure. So this is the prayer that I now use 
Uh, you'll recognize the gospel, the four, five points of the gospel at the front end. Dear Lord, I believe that you are God equal with the Father. I believe you emptied yourself of all that you were as God, that you left heaven, became just exactly like me in every way. I believe that you never sinned, not even a little one, not even a, in thought or attitude. I believe that you were nailed to a cross, and while you hung there, God the Father took all of my sins, past, present, and future, and put them on you, looked at you as if you actually committed the sins that I committed and punished you for my sins. I believe that you physically died on that cross, that you were buried, that three days later you rose from the dead, and that you are alive today. I declare, to you, I declare you to be Lord of my life. I will obey you, do whatever you ask. I will follow you and serve you all the days of my life. And so the believing, the gospel is, I believe, I believe, I believe. And then the declaration, uh, the repentance, as it were, over my past lifestyle, and now I'm going to pursue him, follow him, and be committed to him. And uh, so you can use that prayer if you like. Um, I use it, have used it now a, a number of times, conversations with individuals. And again, I, uh, I'm not timid now about saying, maybe the problem isn't that you're struggling reading the Bible. Maybe we need to go back and... Uh, get saved. It could be that whatever experience you had was uh, wrong motives, uh, incomplete, and so it's just a good thing to make sure of. Uh, let's just do it again. I got saved 25 times before I was six years old, so nothing wrong with doing it some more, just to make sure. And then when there's a changed life, when sin grieves me, and when I'm enduring, then I can know on the basis of the test. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for sending Jesus uh, to be our Savior so that we can be in your family. But Lord, uh, there's a devil is masquerading as an angel of light and he just messes things up, causes things that aren't true to be thought as true and our own heart often fools us. We become self-deceived and we want to truly be children of yours. We want to stand before you and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And so, Lord, guide and direct us. Use us as we witness, as we influence people into your family. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.